Hey guys, Veronica, Andrew, and Nate here. We are Foodies, Foodies Watching, Watching Movies. Movies, a podcast dedicated to awesome movies, great food, and that's about it. Check us out on the JIC Network at www.journeyintocomics.com. Maybe throw some money over to our Patreon so we can eat this week. And now your feature presentation. The following is a Journey into Comics Network production. Suburbs of Chicago and Illinois. This is the Poor Report with your host, Andrew Poor. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Poor Report. This is episode 46, and I'm talking probably a little quieter than you usually hear me on the show because I'm recording from my office at work. Uh, it's been a little crazy. I moved over the weekend, so a lot of my stuff is in boxes, and my office at home is currently full of two cats and a lot of stuff. So the desk is covered, all that stuff is covered, so I can't really record there. But hopefully by next episode, by 47, I will be recording from my future recording space for both the Poor Report and Adulting 8 Easy that I do with my fiance Liz. So in the meantime, I thought I'd give you guys uh, an episode that covers some of the news that came out in the past week and some uplifting stories and some depressing stories and then kind of some stuff in between so let's just jump right into another episode so jumping right in something i saw last night we'll kind of peruse in the news is that starbucks is eliminating plastic straws from all stores the coffee company announced uh early today that it will phase out plastic straws from all of its stores by 2020 the changes will help starbucks eliminate more than 1 billion plastic straws per year the company said plastic straws contribute to ocean pollution and pose a danger to marine life some governments have begun banning them. To eliminate straws, Starbucks transition from the flat plastic lids that require them to ones that feature a raised lip you can drink from. The new designs have drawn comparisons to an adult, quote-unquote, sippy cup. Frappuccino drinks will still be served with dome lids, but with straws made from paper or compostable plastic. Compostable plastic, sorry. Coffee drinkers who prefer straws for other beverages can request the new eco-friendly versions. Some Starbucks drinks, like cold brew with cold foam, are already served in cups with strawless lids. Starbucks will begin rolling out the new lids for all drinks this fall, starting with stores in Vancouver, Canada, and Seattle. In a statement, CEO Kevin Johnson called the move away from plastic straws a significant milestone in the company's sustainability efforts. Starbucks has already committed $10 million to help develop recyclable compost- compostable cups for hot drinks. Other companies have been ditching plastic straws as bans on the item have gone into place. Last month, McDonald's said that it would start switching to paper straws in the United States, in the United Kingdom and Ireland in September. The transition will be complete in 2019, the company said. The announcement from McDonald's followed an April proposal by the UK government to ban plastic straws in the country. In May, the European Union also addressed a ban on some plastic items, including straws. In the United States, local governments are already putting similar restrictions into place. Seattle's been on plastic straws. New utensils went into effect last week. Oakland and Berkeley, California, and other cities have also banned the use of disposable straws. The UK government said that 1 million birds and more than 100,000 sea mammals die each year from eating and getting tangled in plastic waste. Plastic straws that end up in our oceans have a devastating effect on species, said Aaron Simon, Director of Sustainability Research and Development and Material Science at World Wildlife Fund. In a statement, we hope all others will follow in Starbucks' footsteps. Starbucks said that it is the largest food and beverage retailer to have promised to get rid of plastic straws. 
Nicholas Malice, director of Ocean Conservancy, trash-free seas program called Starbucks Decision, a shining example of how companies can help fight ocean pollution. With 8 million metric tons of plastic entering the ocean every year, we cannot afford to let industry sit on the sidelines, he said in a statement. I've actually used the the paper straws, the biodegradable, compostable. I'm going to have the hardest time saying compost or compostable today. Awesome. So... And I've actually used one. I've actually seen that adult sippy cup that Starbucks has done with their cold uh, drinks. The plastic cup, the new design of the sippy cup, is a little weird looking, but it's not all that different from like a regular coffee cup you get that has just the foam with the sippy lid, essentially. I mean, it works the same way. It's just for cold drinks as opposed to a straw, which is fine. I feel like it make, might make driving and drinking a little more complicated for those kind of drinks, but... Probably not all that different considering people who drink coffee and go to work. It's probably a very similar feel. The paper straws are good. I used it when I went to the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. The only downs, it's just that get used to that texture. It's a little weird and it kind of breaks down after a while just because it's paper and it's in a liquid. So you got to kind of make it work fast. But other than that, it works pretty smoothly, I think. And kind of moving away from that story to another story. This is kind of a, a tough story to read. I saw this and I thought it was kind of ridiculous. Uh, a one-year-old baby appears in immigration court and cries hysterically. The judge said he was embarrassed to ask if the boy understood the proceedings. A one-year-old boy in federal custody who appeared in immigration court without his parents in Phoenix briefly played with a ball, drank from a bottle, then cried hysterically as he was about to leave the courtroom Friday, according to the Associated Press. But he was eventually granted a voluntary departure so that the government can fly him to Honduras, where his father has already been sent. Little boy identified in court only as Jonah was one of the children who appeared in the Arizona court Friday without parents. One boy held up five fingers when the judge asked him his age. Judge John Richardson said he was embarrassed to ask if Jonah understood the proceedings, AP reported. I don't know who you would explain it to unless you think that a one-year-old can learn immigration law, he told Jonah's attorney. Immigration advocates have complained about children going to court, calling it stressful and frightening. People in immigration proceedings, even children, are not guaranteed an attorney although most unaccompanied minors do appear with representation. There are no physical accommodations for children, many of whom can't even see over the defense tables without booster seats. There are no booster seats, no teddy bears. It's a cold immigration court, and these kids are sitting in chairs that are too big for them. Their feet don't even touch the floor. Immigration attorney Lindsay Toslowski told CNN last month. Jonah, who did have an attorney, was reportedly separated from his dad at the U.S. border. AP did not report the reason for their separation or the timing. The Trump administration enacted a zero-tolerance immigration policy earlier this year to refer all illegal border crossings for criminal prosecution, which led to thousands of children being split up from their parents. Some parents were deported without their children after signing a waiver. Trump countermanded his own separation policy with an executive order he signed June 20th, but now his administration is under court order to reunite children with families. Some 3,000 migrant children remain in government custody after being separated from their parents, and about 100 of them are under the age of 5. According to the Department of Health and Human Services, the New York Times have reported that some records on the separated families have been lost or even destroyed, raising the possibility that some children may never be reunited with their families. In addition, the U.S. already already deported at least 19 parents of children under the age of 5 and in federal custody. A federal judge in San Diego ordered the Trump administration to reunite children under five with their parents within 14 and within 30 days for older children. The first deadline is July 10th. Lawmakers for HHS asked for an extension last week and argued that federal officials shouldn't be required to reunite children with parents who have already been deported. 
Judge Dana Sabra, who said the deadlines is set to hold a hearing Monday on the extension request, but only in specific cases where the government can demonstrate that it's necessary. He said Friday that the government must reunite children with their parents, even if the parents have already been deported. I definitely agree with the judge's decision. Yes, it's ridiculous that children as young as five are put up by themselves in front of an immigration court to determine their fate. If the parent is getting deported, the kids get deported right along with them. It's ridiculous that they're keeping them separated. A five-year-old needs care. A one-year-old definitely needs care. You can't just leave them to the aid of people whose services are not adequately prepared to handle children at that age. These kids are going to be traumatized by going through this experience, and I think it's ridiculous, and this administration needs to definitely make an effort to reunite these children with their parents. I don't care where the parents or the kids end up. They just need to be together, and that's kind of my thoughts on that. And getting away from... This topic to definitely a happier topic, and that involves the Thai uh, cave rescue that's underway. So, as of now, uh, eight boys have been rescued. Uh, the rescue is halted uh, because it's just the end of the day. They're now it's nightfall, so they're definitely done. Uh, the children whose names haven't been officially released are now recovering in an isolation unit in the hospital. And there's still four more uh kids and their coach still inside the cave and this is kind of a uh this is a live feed so that's as of um so here as of 11 53 a.m the prime minister uh visits the families of the soccer team so the prime minister prayut chan ocha met with families of the soccer team near the cave monday the prime minister's office attributed videos of families meeting with prayut who says no matter how much we spend no one complains about it life is the most important the prime minister expected to visit the boys who have already been rescued in the hospital monday night Rescue worker at Cave says, boy emerged wearing multiple wetsuits meant to keep them warm. Danish cave diver Ivan Kardarzik, who was stationed at Camp Sick to assist the rescue divers, tells CNN that the divers believe today's operation was even more smoothly executed than yesterday, which may have result of less water being in the cave system. Said the boys were indeed wearing a full face mask as well as several wetsuits to minimize heat loss. This because the water is very cold and they are very skinny, he said. The boys are attached to the divers with a small line called a body line, which he says is common to use in low visibility in order to minimize any kind of risk. Yesterday, when he saw the kids in Camp 6, he said they were looking good considering the situation they were in. Divers now need to bring new air and oxygen tanks into the cave and place them at strategic places along the route, he said. It's a contingency in case something happens with the gas supply of the rescue divers, such as an equipment malfunction because the route is so long. It looks like there's a lot of volunteers right now, and I'll definitely be keeping up with this story. Uh, but it looks like all these kids should make it out okay, including their coach. And this is definitely something that made national headlines, international headlines, sorry. So definitely uh, hope the remaining four and their coach make it out safely and that they're safe and comfortable where they are right now and that the other divers and uh, children that have already been rescued are getting the help and care and need. I know there was a diver who was lost. I unfortunately don't have his name at this time, but um, my heart goes out to his family because he did his best to save those kids, and uh, unfortunately he lost his life while doing so. So definitely uh, reach out to him. that uh, He did a great thing for those kids. Moving on then to something a little more uh, comedic, which is kind of a hard transition to do here. Uh, Showtime reveals a new show. So Sacha Baron Cohen, who a lot of you know was Borat and Bruno and did like the Ali G show. He's done a bunch of different characters over his time and his career. Uh, His newest character has arrived and he's here to mock America, 
which in a Trump administration, it's something that he's definitely well equipped to do. As one of the greatest mustachioed gents of all time would say, wah will we wah, very nice. News you're about to read. With the curious case of Sacha Baron Cohen's new comedy series for Showtime growing more mysterious each day, we'll try some intel that can help solidify what shenanigans Cohen has gotten up to. As spotted by our editors in Park Slope, Brooklyn, this weekend, it appears Cohen's Showtime series will be called Who is America? You've been warned, the posters teased while giving us the first glance of Cohen's character, a guy suspiciously peeking out of American flags with various eyewear. It's kind of like that one Talking Heads album cover, but way more Republican. When Cohen's show, slated to premiere on July 15th, was cryptically announced by Showtime last week, the network described his character as being shameless, unhinged, and cold-blooded. On that it might be perhaps the most dangerous show in the history of television, it will also likely involve some President Trump bashing. As for Cohen, he remained mum, except for this tweet. Uh, a message for your President Real Donald Trump on Independence Day. So it looks like this is going to be very... Uh, Appropriate, probably similar to that uh, president show that's on Comedy Central, where it's, it's, it's I think it's going to be more news oriented. Like he's going to be interviewing people as a character, similar to what he's done with like the Ali G show and his other characters like Borat and Bruno and all that. So he's looking to be a character interviewing people close to maybe the president's administration or other people in government, and it'll be kind of comedic and satirical and kind of probably get some interesting content. I'll try and check it out. I don't. I'll probably be able to find it online somewhere, even though it's on Showtime, but I'm sure I'll get, there'll be clips and stuff on YouTube that I'll be able to check out, so definitely probably get a taste before investing in getting Showtime if you really do like the show. So, and I guess moving on to that to something I really didn't know about before this, but I knew it's been something that's been in the public eye for a while, at least since last December, and that involves Ryan Johnson, The Last Jedi, and all of the outrage and things towards... Um, I think it's Holly Marie Tran, or I can't remember what her, actually her name is off the top of my head right now. Um, so this is an article involving another director coming to Ryan Johnson's defense. So it's been seven months since the release of Star Wars The Last Jedi, and director Ryan Johnson is still facing an onslaught of internet nerd rage from butthurt fanboys. Now, Logan director James Mangold has spoken out in defense of Johnson and against the threat of such fan rage. While we've discussed the toxic rage of the Star Wars fandom, these tweets shed some light on the director's perspective and the larger ramification of these campaigns of rage and harassment. <clears throat> Mangold tweeted, At one point when work, writing, and directing big franchises has become the emotionally loaded equivalent of writing a new chapter of the Bible, with a probable danger of being stoned and called a blasphemer, then a lot of bolder minds are going to leave these films to hacks and corp boards. Uh, then someone tweeted, They already have... If you feel that, and then he re responded, if you feel that is the case, if you feel the filmmakers are just corporate tools and powerless, then why bitch at us? In the case of Ryan Johnson and Chris McQuarrie, I assure you these cats are not owned, quote-unquote. They actually fight your battles behind the scenes. Uh, another tweet, what was the religious business? The fervor of some attacks have... The fervor of some attacks has any evangelical ferocity. Now, I... Get it, because for many folks, including me, the Star Wars saga holds tremendous spiritual power, similar to a religious text. But we must remember to try to handle our disappointments the way Yoda might, as opposed to Darth. Mangold is referring to a tweet from Johnson, where the last day director recommended that anyone interested in learning about screenwriting should follow Christopher McQuarrie on Twitter. McQuarrie, who won an Oscar for writing the usual suspects, directed Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, as well as the upcoming Mission Impossible Fallout. In response, angry fans flooded both directors' mentions, causing McQuarrie to tweet that his dream of directing a Star Wars film had been ruined. Uh, Ryan Johnson tweeted, I've already blocked the obviously well-adjusted SS dude, but Austin, would you please remove Chris and I from conversations if you continue it? 
Next time you reply, click on our names, and we'll give you the option to inject them. Thanks, man. Uh, Christopher McCrory followed up the tweet saying, My friend, after five minutes of this, I don't know why you're still on Twitter. I would have loved to make a Star Wars film someday. I'm cured. Now, I can't feel too sorry for Johnson and McCrory. They're both rich, talented A-list filmmakers who have made massively successful blockbusters and who will have zero problems getting work in the future. What concerns me is that the amount of vitriol is targeted at straight white men with nerd cred. What's going to happen if Wensu hires a director who is female or queer or as a person of color or an intersection of all three? After seeing the rage directed at Daisy Ridley and Kelly Marie Tran, sorry, it was Kelly, not Holly, uh, both of whom have deleted their social media accounts, it's easy to predict that a diverse director will trigger a tidal wave of racism and misogyny. This backlash is yet another roadblock for diverse directors seeking the, these jobs, and this relentless online drama discourages studios from hiring them. In an industry that is already unwilling to take risks or hire creators who aren't white, straight, and male, toxic fans outrage the ability to squash creativity and original perspectives. It's said these rabid fans would rather sink their own ship instead of charting a course for new waters. So I think it's awful that people hold something as trivial as a movie or a series of movies and a series of books and all this that the Star Wars universe is in such high esteem that something that goes against their own interpretation is considered blasphemous and ruined. And there was actually a campaign that made a, quite a bit of money to remake The Last Jedi differently. So much so that Ryan Johnson was like, yeah, go for it. I don't care. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, these aren't made by one director. It's made by a committee and writers and crew people and actors and all of that. It's not one person's unilateral vision. It's a vision that has to work with everything else that's going on. And then I kind of wondered, like, where did this go? Because I heard about this and I heard about these SJW Star Wars people and... So I kind of found an article from, I think it was late last year. Um, when, when when actually was this? This was, yeah, December 15th. So shortly after or shortly before the last year I came out, I can't remember when exactly it fell. It was like the 9th of December or something, maybe the 19th, somewhere in there. Uh, so the article is uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi will be too inclusive for some people, period. Good, period. This is a Wired article that's shared on Squawker, I guess. Uh, Stars literally began screening in theaters across the country late last night, and already millions of Americans have seen this latest chapter in the popular film series. What's been interesting to watch in the hours since its release is that the generic public seems to be finding this the most divisive Star Wars film yet. Well, almost universally lauded by professional pop culture and film critics alike, The Last Jedi is seemingly not doing quite as well with the average American moviegoer. In fact, many progressive types somehow seem to be actively celebrated as proof of their own moral superiority. Case in this part, this article was written for Wired magazine entitled The Last Jedi Will Bother Some People, period, good, period, in which writer Angela Watercutter not so subtly informs us all that the movie isn't here to make the galaxy great again. We are told that those who don't like diversity, quote-unquote, should not see the film. Of course, as is now standard practice for today's modern liberals, by diversity they don't mean a variety of thought, but rather simply superficial diversity differences in skin color. None of this is too surprising, however, when you consider the original title of the new modified story was actually... None of this is too surprising, however, when you consider the original title of the new... of the now modified story was actually The Last Jedi will be too inclusive for some people, period, good, period. Angela was seemingly right about one thing. For some reason, many regular people just aren't concerned connecting with the new film the same way professional critics seem to be. Case in point, the critic versus audience score on both Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic. Tomato meter as 93% from critics and 59% from the audience. Metacritic has an 86, 
positive uh, an 86, and the user score is a 5.3, with 234 positive and 206 negative. It would seem the average movie doesn't appreciate an obviously politicized half hour's worth of pointless subplot, which is frustratingly what the film provides as almost the entirety of the generally forced progressive part of the movie takes place in an odd out-of-place subplot. It ultimately feels like it lacks any real purpose beyond simply pleasing SJW types, which I just learned uh, last night or this morning, that is, social justice warriors, which didn't even know was a thing before then. A quick look at the r slash Star Wars over on Reddit will give you an idea of just how negative a reaction the film is getting from many of its most diehard fans, with reviews entitled things like, I'm crushed and worst Star Wars ever, being voted to the top of the community. To put things in perspective, some users over on 4chan's film board are starting to suggest that even the much maligned prequels have more merit to them than these new films. Now to be fair, Disney and its new creation, despite what some SJW types might overexcitedly try to claim, the entire film is certainly not just one giant anti-Trump political allegory, but this is exactly why the examples of shoehorn feminism, forced diversity, and liberal politics that are present become all the more jarring, and they don't fit naturally into an otherwise enjoyable film, and turn what should have been just a fun night out of the movies for Americans of all types, to yet another breeding ground for more political-based online arguing and smug liberal virtue signaling. Uh, Mara Wilson, who played Matilda and a couple other characters, said, I really loved it. They may be... Maybe we'll understand what I mean when I say it, at times it felt too smart to be a Star Wars movie. Uh, Priscilla Page responded to that tweet saying yes, and I loved that about it maybe most of all. I'm sure there's probably a bunch of comments. Um, they're all old. Uh, the top ones, I'm just going to go through a couple comments here. SJWs turn everything to shit, everything. These new films aren't even true Star Wars to pre-millennial fans like me, just more whimsical PC Disney horse shit. For many of us, real Star Wars films began in 1977 and ended in 1983, back when the parents of these whiny not yet thought of SJWs were still in diapers. And the response with that was, the problem is that they seem to have inserted diverse characters for the sake of diversity. Nobody ever had a problem with Lando because he was cool and added to the story. Nobody ever had a problem with Princess Leia as a woman leading the Rebel Alliance because she was a great character. Nobody ever had a problem with a white guy named Han often being a bumbler or the Imperials played by pasty British men. Certainly nobody had a problem with the greatest character in cinema being voiced by James Earl Jones. The franchise was built on female and minority characters, and the fans didn't instantly turn into bigots because of this film. Finn was fine in The Force Awakens. In this movie, he did nothing but team up with a character that seems to serve no purpose other than to make sure that an Asian woman is in the movie, and can make points in the opposition to the rich, the military-industrial complex, human trafficking, and greyhound racing. She even ruined what could have been Finn's awesome heroic sacrificial moment, and it's a lousy movie, and the PC stuff only makes it worse. At least Phasma is gone. She must have been a political appointee because she certainly didn't rise to the ranks to command the army in a merit-based system. This could have been a good female character too, but she's useless in both movies. Um, there's more... Uh, including another tweet. Uh, the original Star Wars films were absolutely f were absolutely films with liberal ideals and themes running through them. For example, Lucas tried to make American audiences... Empathize with the Vietnamese by making the evil empire a massive, well-oiled industrial machine that takes over the other planets and uses bombs that kill countless civilians while the rebels are technologically inferior people who want to live their lives outside of the influence of the empire. In Return of the Jedi, we see the Ewoks fighting off the giant war machines of the empire in the force of Endor with crude traps and nets. The imagery is very representative of the Vietnam War, where the Vietnamese used crude weaponry in, in dense force to defeat the more advanced U.S. military. That sort of imagery represents the fact that the original Star Wars films had a lot of progressive liberal themes, and George Lucas' prequel films continued 
this with the parable about the Bush administration and the worn out racks. So the idea that SJW are ruining Star Wars right now is dumb and childish. So it's definitely a very divisive film. And I know people were, during the fact that Han Solo, the Han Solo film did poorly because of the SJW agenda and all of this. And I think it was more to do with people not necessarily wanting a Han Solo film or the fact that they wanted it to be more than what it was and there was the director drama. So I think people are just looking to latch onto something and people probably boycotted more of Solo because they didn't like Last Jedi. I personally liked that. I've liked all the Star Wars films. Liked Rogue One. I liked Solo. I liked Last Jedi. I liked Force Awakens. I liked all the original films and the prequels. I've had no issue with Star Wars up to this point. I feel like it's just a movie at the end of the day. It's there for enjoyment. And if you don't like it, don't have to see it. Just because they make another one of these films, you can still like just the original three. You can still like the first six if you want. You can just like the new ones. You, It's just a movie. You don't have to have this much anger and hatred and upsetness. Like, because I like something and you don't doesn't mean my opinion's better than yours. It's just how these things are working. And I remember I was on Twitter last night or the day before and about how someone was saying someone wasn't a Star Wars fan because they didn't like The Last Jedi, which I was like, okay, you can like a series of films and not like one of them. Like, I may love, I could say I love the MCU, but didn't like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. That doesn't make me someone who doesn't like all the MCU movies. I just didn't like one of them. Or there's people who, like, for a long time, people just liked the original films, not the prequels or garbage, or people liked the prequels didn't really like the ones from this, like, Forks Awakens on. You can like a series of films and not like one in that series or have it be your least favorite. Like, everyone who ranks the Star Wars films now put Attack of the Clones near the bottom because they don't like the movie. Doesn't mean it's a terrible movie. Doesn't mean that it's not someone else's favorite or the fact that you hate the whole series because of that movie. I think people just get too caught up. And there's the whole fact, like, with the Star Wars debate and how true fandom and all it's just it's a movie just get over it it's fiction there's more things to be concerned about than the fact that there's progressive liberal ideals and social justice warriors influencing a medium that didn't exist 50 years ago or existed about 50 years ago so just find a new hobby get get a life it's just a movie like you pay to see it yes doesn't mean you're entitled you're entitled to your own opinion doesn't mean you can force your opinion on others just because you think your voice is louder than theirs and that's really all i have to say about this week it's been kind of a crazy week and i've been talking it's gonna be a shorter episode i'm recording it at work obviously which makes it a little trickier because i'm doing it over my lunch break because i can't really do it before after work because that's timey-wimey stuff i got work to do so all of that so i need to wrap it up here but i want to thank you guys for listening i'm sorry i ranted for a bit but I think it deserves to be said, and I'm sure Nate's talked about it on JIC before. Maybe Dick and Tyler have talked about it on their show, but I just had to put my two cents in there, and we're going to see what happens when Episode Nine concludes the Star Wars Skywalker saga, and if there's a Episode 10, 11, 12, we'll see, have to see where that goes, but the Star Wars movies aren't going to stop just because you didn't like one movie or didn't like two of the movies. You could, like, you could hate all of them but one, but they're still going to make these movies. I mean, they've paid billions and billions of dollars for it. It's the same reason why as soon as Disney gets a hold of the Fox assets, they're going to be doing those movies too. So just got to strap in and enjoy the ride. And if you don't enjoy the ride, you don't have to watch it. It doesn't matter. Having a bad Star Wars movie doesn't change your life. Why an iota? It's a 
It's two hours of your life that you didn't like. Make the next 22 hours better. Like, it's just a couple hours. We don't like it. Move on. And that's really the poor report for this week. I am Andrew Poor. I want to thank you for listening. You can check me out on all the social medias at the poor report on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I haven't been posting a lot. I need to really change that. I apologize. You can get early access to all of our shows at patreon.com slash journey into comics. Check out all the other shows on our network. There's a show every day of the week that you should check out. Like I said earlier in the show, I have another show that I co-host with my fiance Liz, which is Adulting Ain't Easy. And those are some fun topics, and it's a little comedic, and it's a lot of fun stuff that goes on in adult life and homeownership and wedding planning and living on your own and all that stuff. And I'm also a co-host on Foodies. I haven't been on in a bit, but I need to um, figure, I need to solve that problem soon. So if I'll be on an episode in the not-too-distant future, at least before the season finale coming up in a few weeks. So, But that's it. I'm keep talking. So that's the poor for this week. I'm Andrew Poor. Have a great week. I will talk to you soon. Thank you.